And we're continuing on our HIT series, which is uh, our high-intensity training series where we're looking at a passage of Scripture, and uh, we're focusing on it for a few weeks, really studying it and uh, learning how to make it practical in our life. And, and we're reading through Colossians 3 at the moment, verses 12 to 15, which we've all been given the challenge to memorize and to learn. So I hope you're doing well with that. I hope you are. But let's read it today. Let's get started. If you've got your Bibles, turn to it or, uh, or you can read it on the screen. We're going to read from the New Living Translation. So verse 12 starts with, Since God chose you to be the holy people he loves, you must clothe yourselves with tender-hearted mercy, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Make allowance for each other's faults, and forgive anyone who offends you. Remember, the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others. Verse 14, above all, clothe yourselves with love, which binds us all together in perfect harmony. And let the peace that comes from Christ rule in your hearts. For as members of one body, you are called to live in peace and always be thankful. Verse 14 is what we're looking at and studying today. That above all, clothe yourselves with love, which binds us all together in perfect harmony. Perfect harmony, binding us together. It's such a, a simple concept in reality that regardless of who we are in this community, where we've come from, whether we like each other or whether we just kind of tolerate each other, all those kind of things, but, but perfect harmony comes through loving each other and through the love of God that we can, we can demonstrate. One more verse before we start, Romans 5, verse 5, and it says, And this hope will not lead to disappointment, for we know how dearly God loves us, because He has given us the Holy Spirit to fill our hearts with His love. All right, let's pray and then, then we'll study this. Lord, we thank You that, um, that Your Word was given to us, as it says in Timothy, to teach us what is true and make us realize what is wrong in our lives and the things that we can do better. So Lord, today as we, as we intensely study this passage of Scripture, we pray that it becomes real to our lives, that it teaches us how we can be closer to you, how we can love each other more, how we can be a stronger community to be the church. And we ask that you do this in our lives today as we study. We also thank you that tonight there's two Queensland teams in the grand final, so we can all still watch Dean and Shay on the block. All right. <laughs> Although it's not on. Ah, there we go. I still get points for support. Look, I've got to be honest with you to start with, and you know I like to be honest and admit things that publicly shame me, and, and uh, I do a good job of that. But there's something that really frustrates me, and that is, and you might be able to relate to this, you know when you think you know something, you think you've got finally comprehended the understanding of something, that it finally makes sense, and then something changes and real, you realize you know nothing? Or is, is that just me? I had a moment a couple of weeks ago, we do a Bible study at work, and, and we had this, this, this kind of discussion and this revelation about God, and, and honestly, I just, you know, I thought I was at a point where I kind of understood God even a little bit. And then one thing comes along and it just changes your whole perception and you realize, you know what, I know nothing. I know nothing. And it kind of frustrates me in life. And, and I see uh, this happen a lot in the Gospels with the disciples. 
You know, Joel and I joked a few weeks ago and we said, oh, we give the disciples heaps like, oh, you know, how could they not see this coming? How, how come Peter couldn't walk on the water? And, and, and we, we give them heaps and we, we read the, the Gospels and the stories and we, we kind of laugh at them and think, gosh, you know, come on. And the reality is, what Joel and I said is we wouldn't have even been a disciple. You know? <laughs> we would have been the guy just fishing on the beach, just waving as Jesus went past. So we give him heaps. But I see so much in, in, the, in the Gospels where, where Jesus almost kind of baits the disciples into an answer. And, and, and they're, they're confident in their response. That it's like they, they know, oh, yes, we've got this. We know the answer. And then he's like, ha-ha, got you. Wrong thing. And he like changes their whole perception of something. And there's a great example in Matthew 20 where he's telling the parable about the man who went out during the day to hire different workers. And uh, just quickly, he went out in the morning, mid-morning, lunch, afternoon, and then an hour before work finished. And he hired these workers to come and, and do a job for him and at the end of the day, uh, for the day. And at the end of the day, when it came to pay them, he paid them all the same. The ones that had been there the whole day, the ones that had worked the last hour and barely broke a sweat, they all got paid the same. And, and Jesus is telling them, the disciples, this. And it's almost like he's baiting them because I can imagine that they're sitting there saying, yeah, you tell him, Jesus. You go back and tell him that he's got to pay them all differently. You know, get the unions on them, get the award out, work it out. And then, and then he just drops this and he says, no, it's a great reversal. Many of the last ending up first and the first ending up last. They think they know what's going on, and then all of a sudden he just switches it. In the, in the next part of that chapter, it tells us that um, the Zebedee brother's mum, how cool is that? Who would like to be a Zebedee brother? That's a great name. But anyway, she, she comes along and hits up Jesus for, you know, who, who's going to ride shotgun with you in, in heaven? Who's going to sit either side of you? And she's trying to get her boys in there, and and the Bible tells us that this, this argument kind of breaks out with the disciples about who it should be. And, and Jesus sits them down. And you can imagine that, that the disciples are thinking, okay, here we go. He's going to number us 1 to 12. Who's going to be what? Who's going to be next to him? Who's going to be, you know, we all know Judas would be number 12. But, you know, like who, who's going to number him? He sits them all down. And then all of a sudden he drops and says, whoever wants to be great must become a servant. Whoever wants to be first has to become a slave. You know, just when you think you've got this understanding, just as Jesus is trying to teach them and, and kind of pull out that natural human response from them, and then he twists it and switches it and says, hang on, there's a different way of thinking about this in my kingdom. And today I want to call that the opposite spirit. It's the opposite of what our natural tendency is, the the, the opposite of what our natural response would be, that what the culture should say that we should, the way that we should react and, and the way that we should do things. And, and I want to call it today the opposite spirit. And uh, as a younger man um, than I am now, I was notorious for a couple of things. And don't get excited, it's nothing to, to write a movie over or anything. But one of those things that I was well known for and I'm looking around and realizing that there's some visitors here today who will be able to attest to this very well, is that I was always known for being late. 
My mum's here. I used to work with Pastor Steve and Ann. They know it well. Uh, I was the guy that would turn up late for staff meetings. I always have a good excuse. I'd be late picking people up. I'd always arrive late. I'd be late getting out of bed in the morning. All those kind of things. There's plenty of smiles happening. And, uh, and there's other smiles happening because thanks to the, uh, the gentle correction of my lovely wife, I'm no longer a person that's late, and I'm actually on the other end of the scale. If you're like three minutes late for a meeting with me, I'm kind of tapping my foot and thinking about leaving. And uh, so I've come a long way, but, but as I said, thanks to the gentle uh, corrections that only my wife can bring. Uh, but there was an incident in 2006, and it is the great incident of 2006, and And that particular day, I was responsible for picking my wife Mel up from work. For some reason, I had dropped her off and I had to be there and and pick her up. And of course, I was running late. But there's a few things that that you've got to understand uh, why this is, why I was terrible. Uh, Is because it, it was late, it was dark, it was raining, it was cold. Uh, She was standing outside of Charlestown Square for about 25 minutes, and she was about seven months pregnant. Um, And and so I I turn up about 20 or 25 minutes late to pick her up, and uh, I'm I'm well experienced by this point about what's going to happen when that car door opens. So... By the time the car door opens, I'm kind of already ducking and covering and, and just getting ready for the, the onslaught that's, uh, you know, fairly about to be uh, dished out on me. But the problem this day was that it never came, which is really bizarre. All these circumstances, I'm like, this is it. I'm, <laughs> I'm done. I'm not even going to get to sleep on the lounge tonight. And, um, and, and, but, but when the door opened, it was like all happiness. And like, hey babe, how you going? And I'm like, uh, yeah, <laughs> I think I'm good. Are we are we good? And 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 so for the next few days, I was on guard, waiting for the retaliation to come. But but it just never came. And and, and we joke about it. That's the reason why it's called the Great Incident of 2006. And and that's because it was like supposed to be. It was almost like Y2K or something like that. There was supposed to be this like world-ending event, and then nothing happened. And I only tell that story today just to to talk about it and kind of highlight this idea of the opposite spirit, the the concept that there's a way that we kind of naturally will react to something, our human tendency that comes out, the, the, the justified response to destroy your husband's life if he leaves you waiting on the street in the rain, in the cold and all those kind of things when you're seven months pregnant. But there's, there's an example here of how an opposite spirit can totally change the way the situation was supposed to be. Here's me thinking that my life is over and then now you guys just get to hear a funny story and everything was sweet and I'm still alive. And when I think about this concept that we're studying, uh, the concept that we must love each other, that uh, in this verse, in, in verse 14, where it says the, the most important aspect is to clothe ourselves in love, and especially taking into consideration that the word love here, uh, in the Greek translation, there's four Greek words that mean love, and we translate them all to one English word that's love. There's three that are used in the Bible, and the Greek word here is agape, which is what we would call God's love, 
unconditional love, love that is without strings. Uh, Considering that we are called here to clothe ourselves with an unconditional love for each other. Look at the person next to you. You have to love that person. Look at the other one, the one that wasn't your first choice. You also have to love them. You know, if if we're going to look at how do we as a community, how do we as believers and followers of Christ actually live up to verse 14 uh, and, and, and operate with this opposite spirit to each other, then we have to look at the example of Christ. I mean, if God is love, then surely Jesus is the greatest demonstration and the greatest example that we can look at as faulty humans on how we as a community and as believers can truly clothe ourselves with love. There's a, there's a passage I want to have a look at as, as we study in this, and, and it's a, a great example of Jesus' love. And we are, we are working through a bit of the Bible here today, so, and at a fast pace, so you'll have to bear with me. And, uh, and Jordy and I call this an AMVAP, which is as many verses as possible. It is a fitness term. And uh, it's a joke that only two people in this room got, which is cool. We'll move on. John 13. It, it, it's, uh, oh, Brad's, uh, oh, she got it too. Excellent. More of us. There's a, John 13 is a great chapter, and, and it's, of course, of course, what we call the Last Supper. And I want to look at this as the example, as the roadmap, as the blueprint of how we as a community can fulfill Colossians 3.14 and clothe ourselves with love for each other, for that is the thing that binds us together. And um, it's a great chapter, and it's really challenging, because at the beginning of the chapter, we, we read about how Jesus... Uh, actually got down and washed the feet of his disciples, again demonstrating the opposite spirit. If you want to be a leader, you have to be a servant. And why that's really interesting is just the chapter before, uh, one, one page before, we read about how uh, he was anointed by Mary Magdalene. He, he showed his power over death by raising Lazarus back to life. And then he, uh, he had the moment where he triumphantly entered Jerusalem as the king. And you turn the page over, one page over, and he's on his knees washing the feet of his disciples, this powerful king, the savior, the Messiah, demonstrating in an opposite spirit how to, to lead. Uh, but it gets even better than that because we, we all know this is the, the Last Supper. This is the disciples getting together to celebrate the Jewish Passover right before the next couple of chapters where Jesus is arrested and taken and crucified. And, uh, and we know that story well. But in John 13, we might pick it up from verse 21. And it says, Now Jesus was deeply troubled and, troubled, and he exclaimed, I tell you the truth, one of you will betray me. The disciples looked at each other, guilty looks, wondering whom he could mean. The disciple Jesus loved was sitting next to Jesus at the table and Simon Peter mentioned to him, uh, who's, he, who's he talking about? And so the disciple leaned over to Jesus and asked, Lord, who is it? And Jesus responded, it is the one whom I give bread. Give the bread, I dip in the bowl. And when he had dipped it, he gave it to Judas, son of Simon Iscariot. Verse 27, when Judas had eaten the bread, Satan entered into him and then Jesus told him, hurry up. Hurry and do what you're going to do. 
None of the others at the table knew what Jesus meant. Since Judas was their treasurer, some thought Jesus was telling him to go and pay for the food or to give some money to the poor. So Judas left at once, going out into the night. So to recap that little section, Jesus has basically just come clean and said, Judas, I know that you're going to betray me. In front of all the disciples, in front of the, the people that were gathered there, the guys in the room, he basically set him up, and, or not set him up, but he, he let him know, Judas, I know you're the one that's going to betray me. Go and, go and do what you need to go and do. And he did it in such a way, without such a big deal, and that it tells us that the other disciples just assumed that he had gone out to do an errand, that he'd gone to bank some money or to give some money to the poor or pay for something because that was Judas's role to be the treasurer. He did it without such a great deal. And in verse 31, it says, As soon as Judas left the room, Jesus said, The time has come for the Son of Man to enter into his glory, and God will be glorified because of him. Uh, Verse 34, so now I am giving you a new commandment. Love each other just as I have loved you. You should love each other. Your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. You see what happened here is is Jesus has actually given us a, a new commandment. Commandment number 11, that you've got to love each other just as he loved us. We should love each other because that is the greatest testimony that we can have as being disciples of him. But what I want to look at is, is, is this idea that like, you know, we, we have the, the disciples sitting there hearing this. Jesus saying, I give you a new commandment. They would have been like, yep, cool. No worries, boss. Number 11, all good. You know, we, we know, we trust, we believe that you are... You are God, that you are the one who gave us the first 10. You can add another, another, another one, number 11 to it. You know, we grew up with 10. We can add another one. Surely it's fine. No worries. We got it. Love each other. And, that, and that's the context of how the disciples would have been. But, but for us who kind of can look back at this situation, for us that can see the bigger picture, the, the, who know now the events that are about to unfold, over the next couple of chapters, for us who can look at it back in its historical moment and realize what's about to happen, this can take a very different concept, a very different idea for Jesus actually demonstrating here how much he loved someone, how much he loved these disciples and and how we should follow him. Because if you remember just one minute earlier, just one breath earlier, a couple of verses in the context that we read it, he had just, in a sense, exposed and admitted that he knew that Judas was going to betray him. He knew that Judas was the one that was about to go and get something started that would lead him to be arrested, to be beaten, to be whipped, to be crucified, to go through that whole ordeal. He knew exactly that. And he still said, Judas, go and do what you need to do. Took one breath and said, love each other as I have loved you. Now, interestingly, how would we react as humans? What is the the natural tendency that we would have 
if we knew that somebody was about to betray us, if we knew that somebody was about to do something that stabbed us in the back. I mean, like, let's be honest, sometimes we can't even handle when someone sits in our seat in church, let alone if someone's going to betray us. We get upset if someone doesn't say hello to us, if they don't respond to a text message quick enough, if it takes them seven days to respond to your Facebook friend request. We get upset. But yet here we have an example of Jesus knowing full well that this man was about to betray him. The, the Greek word that he uses is poieo, which means go and get it started. So Judas, go, go and get started what you need to do. Let's, let's get the ball rolling. He didn't make a big deal. He didn't expose him. He didn't wait till he left and said, you know what, we need to talk about this Judas guy. I mean, I'm just doing it out of love. I just feel the Holy Spirit speaking to me. I'm not gossiping. I don't want to say this for any other reason except I love him, but we really need to talk about Judas. Sat in my seat last week. Didn't like my Instagram photo quick enough. Didn't let me have coffee after the service started. All these kind of things. We love you, Beachy. We get here on time for coffee. All these things that, that, that we would allow us to drive a wedge between ourselves in this community, that we would allow us to not fulfill Colossians 3.14 and not clothe ourselves with God's love for each other that binds us together in perfect harmony. These things are so insignificant to the fact that Jesus dismissed Judas to go and do what he needed to do, took one breath and said, you know what, guys? New commandment, love each other as I have loved you. He had every right, every right in the world to expose him, to have a go at him, to say, I always knew he was like this, but he didn't, took a breath and said, learn from my example, love each other. Because most importantly, with us loving each other, it's the greatest example that we can give to the worlds that we live in that we are disciples of Jesus Christ. So how can we remain in perfect harmony? I mean, it's difficult. We sit in each other's seats. We come to church when the air condition is off and we're not respectful in our worship to keep our arms down. We're still sweating on the person next to us. You know, it's, it's summer worship. We need to learn this. Armpits down. But how can we remain in, in perfect harmony and how can we stay loving in this community? Well, it comes back to operating in that opposite spirit. So not reacting out of our natural tendencies to want to slap someone, to want to say something, to talk behind their back, to have a go at them, to do that kind of thing that is, is just naturally within us. It doesn't make you a bad person. It's just how we react. Uh, and, and, and how are we going to change that? Well, I, I was led to, I couldn't get past Romans 12. You know, the great passage about our life as living sacrifices to God, about our mind being renewed with a different thinking, with an opposite spirit, with a different way of thinking that comes from God, not from our natural human desire. And uh, as I'm going to read through this, it's uh, Romans 12 verse 9, and I'll get the band to come up while I do that. 
But, we're, um, but I believe that this is a great blueprint for us as, as, as followers of Christ for this community on how we can live in perfect harmony and, and show love to each other. The, the agape love, the unconditional love, not the love that you, because someone does something for you because you have to love them because you're related to them. Just agape, unconditional love. We're going to read from verse 9, and, and I want to challenge you. You know, maybe this week we can add this to our, our memory verses and, and use this as a blueprint for clothing ourselves with love. But verse 9 in the message translation says, Love from the center of who you are. Don't fake it. Run for dear life from evil. Hold on for dear life to good. Be good friends who, lovely, who love deeply and practice playing second fiddle. Verse 11, don't burn out. Keep yourself fueled and aflame. Be alert servants to the master, cheerfully expectant. Don't quit in hard times. Just pray all the harder. Help needy Christians. Ooh, do we want to skip over that one? No? Help needy Christians be inventive in hospitality. Bless your enemies. No cursing under your breath. Laugh with your happy friends when they're happy. Share tears when they're down. Get along with, with each other. Don't be stuck up. Make friends with nobodies. Don't be the great somebody. Verse 17, don't hit back. Wish my kids were here. Don't hit back. Discover beauty in everyone. If you've got it in you, get along with everybody. Don't insist on getting even. That's not for you to do. I'll do the judging, says God. I'll take care of it. Verse 20, our scriptures tell us that if you see your enemy hungry, go buy that person lunch. Or if he's thirsty, get him a drink. Your generosity will surprise him with goodness. Don't let evil get the best of you. Get the best of evil by doing good. That, that is absolute gold when it comes to operating in the opposite spirit. How do we love each other? There it is. Help needy Christians. Be inventive in hospitality. If, if you've got an enemy, go and buy them lunch. All these things listed out here in Romans 12 that can happen, that we can, that we can choose to include in our life if we allow our minds to be renewed. Like the very start of Romans 12 says, renewed, a different thinking, an opposite spirit. You see, the problem is, and uh, this is a, a scripture that I've really been kind of studying and thinking a lot about lately, is, is Galatians 5. And I want to finish with, with this thought. And uh, I know, Caleb, I told you verse 16, but we might start a little bit earlier in verse 13. This is a New Living Translation. This is why it's important for us to operate with that opposite spirit, to, to actually be intentional about clothing ourselves. You know, that's what the Colossians says. We need to clothe ourselves. You know, when you get up in the morning, thankfully, we all intentionally choose to put clothes on. Thankfully. Thank Jesus. But that's what this is all about. We need to intentionally choose to have the opposite spirit when it comes to each other. 
I'm going to stop this analogy of clothing in the morning because it's really going. But we need to actually choose every day to renew our minds, to think differently, to follow this blueprint in Romans 12. And the reason why is, is we can find it in Galatians 5. Verse 13 says, Now you have been called to live in freedom, not freedom to satisfy your sinful nature, but freedom to serve one another in love. For the whole law can be summed up in this one command, love your neighbor as yourself. But if instead of showing love among yourselves, you are always biting and devouring one another, watch out. Beware of destroying one another. But verse 16, listen to this. So I advise you to live according to your new life in the Holy Spirit. Then you won't be doing what your sinful nature craves. The old sinful nature loves to do evil, which is just the opposite from what the Holy Spirit wants. And the Spirit gives us desires that are opposite from what the sinful nature desires. These two forces are constantly fighting each other and your choices are never free from this conflict. But verse 18, but when you are directed by the Holy Spirit, you are no longer subject to the law. So you know that old Looney Tunes picture of like the angel and the, the demon? You know, you can eat the cake. No, you can't eat the cake. You know, that, that, that's what I see when I read this scripture. It, it tells us that, that there are two forces that are constantly fighting each other inside of us, our flesh, our sinful nature that just wants to do evil. And then the opposite, the spirit that wants to guide us towards good. And the problem that this scripture highlights for us is if we do nothing, if we do nothing intentionally, then our sinful nature wins. Just like we have to clothe ourselves with love, with that intentional action every day. This scripture is telling us, you know what? We have to intentionally choose the spirit. Because if we don't, flesh wins, evil wins. The opposite of Romans 12 happens. There's a breakdown in relationships within this community. The world looks at the church and says, there is no way they can be followers of the God of love. They can't even love the brother that sits next to them in church. But Galatians 5 tells us, But when you are directed by the Holy Spirit, you are no longer subject to the law. Which brings us back to that first scripture, Romans 5.5. For we know how dearly God loves us because He has given us the Holy Spirit to fill our hearts with this love. You see, as believers, every one of us has the Holy Spirit inside of us. We have the battle between good and and evil, but we have the ability to choose the Spirit. We have the ability to choose God's way, to operate in an opposite spirit and to love each other. Doesn't matter what happens. Doesn't matter who you have to sit next to, who steals your seat, who offends you, who upsets you. If you're offended, listen to last week's message and forgive them. We need to choose the opposite spirit. You know, I had this, uh, I had this thought right before we started today about, about what God does in relationships. 
And, uh, and I, I asked uh, Caleb to Google something and we'll pop it up in a second. But there's this, you know, when, when you're dealing with other humans, it's full of hurt. You get full of brokenness and, you, you, you know, we're, we're human. By default, we will upset each other. By default, we will choose sinful, evil desires without the spirit and acting in the opposite spirit. We end up hurt. We end up broken. And uh, my, my mother actually put this on Facebook some time ago, and it's this, this Japanese art called Katsugi, something like that. And, uh, and can you throw the picture out there, Caleb? It's this. It goes back to the 15th century where someone important in Japan uh, broke something that was important to them. And they sent it across to China to get it fixed, uh, uh, like a ceramic pottery bowl device thing. And, and, and they weren't happy with the way it came back. It had been repaired with metal staples and, and, and things like that. It was, was no longer pretty. So he gave it to a craftsman in Japan and he said, make this pretty. And what he actually did was he repairs the brakes with, with lacquer and gold. And what you end up with is this, this boring ceramic bowl that has been broken, perhaps through relationships, perhaps through love not being demonstrated within a community, within a family, with each other. And you don't just end up with this boring bowl at the end, you end up with this work of art, this broken vessel that hasn't just been repaired with araldite and superglue, but is now something more incredible than what it was originally. You know, that's the beauty that we have as followers of Christ, the people who know about the opposite spirit, who allow our mind to be renewed and to act differently towards each other, that broken vessels that we are, Broken relationships, people who are hurt, who are bruised, who have offended and been offended with God's love, with intentionally choosing to clothe ourselves with His love, we end up being more beautiful. We end up being a work of art than we ever were, even though we've been through incredible brokenness. So I don't know if that meant anything for you today, but I mean, it, it means something for me. God's not in the business of just making you kind of sorta better. He wants to turn brokenness into something beautiful. That's what He does. And in this family, in this community, let's be people who intentionally every morning clothe ourselves with love, choose the opposite spirit to what our sinful nature wants. So that the world that we live in, the workplaces you go to, the families, the neighbours, the communities, the sports club, everything where you walk, people will look at us and say, I know they're followers of Jesus. There's something different about them. They've got gold in them, not brokenness. They're made whole. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you that, uh, that you truly do love us. And if only we could love each other just as much as you have demonstrated. Lord, I pray that you continue to heal our broken hearts. You help us to, to clothe ourselves every day with love for one another, to be inventive in our hospitality, to love our 
enemies, to, to put up with people, but most of all to be bound together in perfect harmony because we have a common love between us. Lord, we pray this, not only that our lives would be beautiful, broken vessels, but that we would be an example, that the world would look to us as a church family and know that you are in our midst, that we, they would know that we operate differently, that our minds think differently because of our love for one another. We thank you, Lord. Amen. We're going we're gonna to worship uh, this beautiful new song that Joel led us in this morning. And, and I don't know, maybe God wants to do something here this morning, but I'm not really sure what that is. <laughs> but I just feel like, like the Holy Spirit's here. I feel like we can do something. So I, I just want to encourage you as we, as we worship, why don't we choose to intentionally clothe ourselves with love? If we need to go and, and talk to someone in our church community here today and, uh, and ask for a bit of Colossians 3.13 forgiveness, then why don't we do that? If we need to come down the front and, and pray, if we need more gold in our lives and less brokenness, let's come down the front and pray. But in this time, let's just stand. Let's just be led in worship.